my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less. Don't let anyone ever rip you off. The data that has come in preliminarily from the recent Thanksgiving holiday travel period finds that more people flew than have flown at any time since the pandemic really got going in the United States in March. Still way below normal number of passengers, but a meaningful increase from what we've seen through the period of time that uh, travel demand by air has fallen precipitously. Travel by automobile still down, but much higher than it was earlier in the pandemic. And uh, this is in the midst of what's been an ugly spike in the number of cases in the United States and sadly fatalities from COVID, coronavirus, whatever, in the U.S. For airlines trying to earn people's trust and get them back in seats, because really the recent Thanksgiving travel period is still kind of an empty kind of uh, number of seats sold compared to historical numbers and what you normally have over a Thanksgiving holiday period. Airlines each have designed their own strategies to try to get people back. A number of experiments are underway for international travel where people are put through testing protocols similar to what I talked about recently with travel to Hawaii where you have to have a test done under certain very specific conditions, have the results of that test, and you carry with you what's essentially a coronavirus-free passport that allows you to travel to Hawaii. Now in certain air travel corridors to Italy, to England, to mention two in particular, there are protocols where you have a very specific coronavirus test you pass that test you are allowed to travel and this is to places that normally would not allow americans to travel to you're able to travel but for domestic travel within the lower 48 the real issue has been people not being willing to travel themselves and so delta has done something different and outlasted everybody else who did it the same for a while, Delta made the decision that they are going to block middle seats all the way through the end of March. And Southwest had blocked middle seats for months, and they finally started um, booking middle seats again, booking enough passengers that you'd have filled middle seats. The advantage of what Delta is doing versus what the rest of the airline industry is doing is that according to research data, leaving middle seats empty makes air travel almost twice as safe. Or put another way, half as risky of you potentially picking up uh, COVID-19 from another passenger. So the important thing with travel is to take the best precautions you can if you are going to fly by air. And it involves masking up with a really good mask and considering wearing some form of shielding as well. 
my nephew and his wife recently flew from Florida to Arizona, and my brother got such a kick out of the the getup they were wearing that made them look like they were some 1960s astronaut so that they would feel safe flying. And I think that speaks to, even for people who are going in the air, most have a meaningful level of fear and want to feel safe when they do fly. And so Delta, at great financial sacrifice, is going to continue to block those middle seats for months and months to come. My wife has not flown since the first week of March and is going to be flying, I think in late January is when she's going to fly. And she is going to fly Delta specifically because of the middle seat block. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And Kim, you get to kick things off. All right. Today, Kathleen is actually kicking things off. She's from Florida and she says, Clark, what can I do to stop the request for donations from nonprofit organizations that I receive in the U.S. mail? I receive so many, I mean, so many solicitations and I really need them to stop. You can't get them to stop. I mean, there really is no way to stop charitable solicitations. For uh, business correspondent solicitations, there is a process with the Direct Marketing Association where you can reduce some of the junk mail, as, as we refer to it, from coming. But charitable solicitations are much more intense this year because charitable giving overall has declined significantly during the coronavirus pandemic. So as people, a lot of people have not had their jobs, a lot of people have been hoarding their money, worried that they might lose their jobs or not having a sense of where things are going. So charities in a time of maybe their greatest need have been uh, seeing less donations and have desperately been sending out greater and greater numbers of more urgent solicitations. If those solicitations are annoying you, if you have recycling where you are, don't open any envelopes and just recycle them. And this time of year, be very aware of the problem with fake charities soliciting you for donations. And you got to be very cautious who you give money to if you do have the ability to give money to charitable organizations, that you check them out before you give. And I have info on Clark.com, how you check out a charity to see what's legit. Joel? Clark Jared in Illinois says, Hey Clark, I know your rule on home ownership is to rent until you're ready to put down permanent roots for seven years or longer. Does this advice stand for those of us who are eligible for VA home loans? Uh, does the lower initial cost of home purchasing change that ideal timeline in your estimation? What a wonderful question because it's something that I almost never address. And it is true that if you qualify for a VA home loan that the cost into a home is cheaper than it is for other people up front. The cost when you exit that home is equivalent to what other people face. The homeownership cycle, the reason I've been uh, talking about that so much this year 
is that this is another coronavirus effect, is that home prices have escalated beyond normal that they would in an economic cycle, especially for things away from a central city. And so the homeownership cycle is more important to protect you against a possible stall out in home prices or potentially some level of decline. There's not going to be any collapse in home prices looking forward. This is completely different than the speculative real estate bubble that happened in uh, 2000, that came to an end really in 2007 and then had horrific consequences through 2012. But a longer ownership cycle is a good decision even in your circumstance with the lower inbound cost to buying a home. Kim? Clark James in Arizona wants to know, uh, he says, I plan on traveling to see some state parks or at least some different states since now I work remotely and I can. My problem is, do you know of a way that I can access quality internet while I'm being a nomad? Uh, This has gotten uh, significantly better for people that are on the open road. And it's because of something I've talked about recently with both T-Mobile and Verizon putting a big emphasis on fixed wireless internet, where you have the ability to have an internet that's kind of like a home internet, in addition to something we've been used to for years, and that is being able to hotspot. So if you look at the cell phone plans available from different providers, you'll see that the robust hotspotting ability is much, much better than it used to be, and the coverage is far superior to what they were before. And I know that 5G is overhyped, but you want your internet access that you would have on the road from one of the cell phone providers to be a 5G access, whether it's through a hotspot from your phone, buying a portable hotspot, or for when you're stationary on the road, having a fixed wireless uh, home-style internet from T-Mobile or Verizon. In any case, you're going to find it to be more affordable and less of a hassle than it was even a year ago. Joel? Clark Ron in Rhode Island says, Recently, Clark, you shared your experience. Uh, Your credit card was compromised and used fraudulently and was replaced by your credit card issuer. My question is, will the credit history built with that card be lost? Will this card replacement affect your credit history in any way? Thank goodness, no. When a card number changes, it doesn't change the cycle of credit history that goes back from whenever I originally took out that card. So there's no negative effect on me for that. The biggest hassle is if you had anything uh, stored as a method of payment using that card number, you can end up with a late pay with someone if you didn't remember that you needed to update that card number after the card was compromised and you're issued a new 16-digit number, 15 digits for American Express. Um, Anyway, when you get that new number, just remember, update any automatic payments billing to that. But otherwise, in terms of your credit history, no impact. Kim? 
Nancy in Ohio says, I'm starting to contract out as some sort of a senior care company. It's not healthcare, but I'm cooking and cleaning and doing meal prep, helping seniors to shower and dress. I do not dispense medication, but I remind clients when to take them. So my question is, do I need to carry liability insurance? Okay, so I'm not a lawyer, but if I put on my fake lawyer hat, the lawyer answer automatically would be, yes, you need liability coverage. I'm not a licensed insurance agent, but if you asked a licensed insurance agent, they would say, yes, you should have liability coverage because the thing is you can be sued at any time over anything. And the question that I'd like you to think through is what are the younger family members like in the family where you're providing care to older, to an older individual? If there are people who you really don't care for that much in terms of their character, they're the kinds that are more likely to come after you under uh, pretense that you caused harm or loss of life to somebody you're providing care to. The, uh, the best answer is to look at getting a liability policy, see what it would cost you. But before you even worry about that, think about what assets you have. If you don't have a lot of assets, then the risk to you is minuscule. If you have a lot of assets, then I'd make it a priority for you to look at getting a liability insurance policy that would protect you. Kevin is with us on the Clark Howard Show, and 2020 has not been the friendliest of years to you, has it? It has not. But I'm I'm bouncing back. Great. I'm glad to hear that. What's your scoop right now? So I went through a period of unemployment this year, about seven months. Thankfully, I was able to weather that and come out okay. Um, just recently started a new job. And my question is, because my income is, um, I'm estimating maybe about $30,000 less than it normally would be, would it make sense? I have a... Um, traditional IRA that I had rolled over an old employer's 401k into. Um, and I'm thinking about trying to do a backdoor Roth and just kind of weighing the implications of the taxes that I would have to pay and whether it would make sense. I do have enough in my savings to where I could pay for those taxes and still be comfortable with what I have left in there. Okay. So you don't have to do a backdoor Roth. Okay. If your income, if you have a traditional IRA, and you want to convert that into a Roth. Is that right? Yes. You don't have to. There's no special uh, thing that's different this year than any other. You can move that money over and you just pay tax on it at what would be a lower tax rate because your income is lower this year. And then forever forward, that money is Roth money. Okay. So. And- it's actually so I, ultra easy. Okay, that sounds good. My question, though, is, so I was kind of estimating because it's about $94,000 that are in there. So that is going to push me into a, uh, you know, I think about a 24% tax bracket. So, you know, 24% of the 94, it's a, it's a pretty good sum there. Sure, 23000 something. You don't have to do it all at once, though. Okay. I mean, you know, if your income is substantially lower this year because the lengthy period of unemployment and you've got enough money and savings to do it, it would still be worth it because 
um, in a normal year, it sounds like you'd be in a higher than that tax bracket. Okay. And I've got about 25 more years of working. So, um, so think about over those years, having that money grow tax free and never having to worry about paying tax on it. Um, more than a generation from now, it is taking what is a really tough situation where you did have such a lengthy period of unemployment and lower income and making that work for you. And one thing we glossed right over, and I must congratulate you on, Kevin, you went into the unemployment with the coronavirus as a big-time saver. You had a cash cushion that got you through that time, and now that same cash cushion is making it possible for you to do the conversion to a Roth. Great job on your part. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. There's been an ongoing debate in the U.S. Congress since late spring about having a financial assistance package for state and local governments that have seen revenues decline so much from the various taxes collected by state and local governments during the pandemic. And so far, there's been uh, no agreement, meeting of the minds in the Congress between the House and the Senate on providing any financial relief to state and local governments. In fact, there may not be any agreement ever. And where state and local governments are may well be where things remain. And so as a practical matter, state and local governments generally around the country are required to balance their books every year, unlike the federal government that just has a printing press and can spend whatever it wants and has run up the largest budget deficits outside of World War II at any time in American history of late. And so state and local governments have to respond immediately, which, ironically enough, by itself has economic impact, since depending on how you measure, state and local governments account for somewhere between 12% and 15% of all jobs in the United States. And that's larger as a share of the job total in the country of most any other job category that's people that work for state and local governments. Uh, What's happening around the U.S. varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but at both the state and local governmental area, 
vacant jobs are not being filled and furloughs are being used in some places and straight out layoffs in others are taking place. And depending on how long coronavirus has to run and the impact it has on people's incomes, corporate profits, sales tax revenues, and the rest, uh, you may see more layoffs in these job categories. What happened back during the Great Recession is that made the recovery from the Great Recession take longer because of the number of jobs that were at the state and local level that were unfilled or people who got laid off. The other side of this that isn't talked about as much is the services that we have gotten used to from state and local government that there won't be as much of. And so uh, the likelihood that states will raise taxes to deal with the shortfall in revenue, very, very unlikely. There may be some at the margins where states raise various junk fees, local governments may raise junk fees, but there's not enough money in those junk fees to really move the needle. So we are likely to see government at the local and state level being less of a source of economic activity in our areas and for the country in total and things that we have gotten used to government doing well we're not going to see as much of that going forward because the i'm telling you the likelihood of significant tax increases you're not going to see that people will vote for specific what are usually referred to as local option taxes when they serve a purpose like dealing with potholes in a city or dealing with a shortfall in public education or something like that that's for a specific thing for a specific period of time that sunsets. But general tax increases are very, very unpopular now all across America. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate, and I forgot whose turn it is. I'm up, Clark, and William in Indiana has got a question. He says, what do you think about buying gift cards from discount resale sites? Uh, It seems like a great way to get more bang for your buck. So this is hazard with opportunity. You're going to get a discount. You want to check out the particular site that you're looking at doing gift card exchanging, selling, or buying from one, and pay close attention to two things. What's their policy if you buy a gift card and it has no money on it after you've received it? How do they deal with that? And two, look very closely at what their Better Business Bureau rating is. If they've got a low grade with the Better Business Bureau You don't want anything to do with that gift card resale site. And then what people say about them in general reviews on various sites on the internet that you might look at before you do it. It is a way to save money, especially for local and chain restaurants, Uh, not as big a savings for big national retailers. 
But if you're willing to do the research up front and take the chance, it does score you extra spending. Kim? Veronica in Georgia says, my daughter's in the Navy and is being deployed to Japan for four years. So needless to say, she has little room for any types of gifts that we would normally get her. We're looking to either open a high yield savings account or maybe a CD for her and would love your advice. Would you have any recommendations on what would be better or what would be the best bank in which to do this? Well, Kim and Joel, I'm going to give you both a chance to guess what I'm going to recommend instead of those things. I'm going to guess the Bluebird card. Nope. Nope. Kim? Hmm. Instead of those things, I would have thought you would have gone with an online bank savings account. I'm not the man from Roth for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I'm going to immediately recommend instead a Roth IRA and giving money to that. I can't believe neither of you knew I would say that. So setting up a Roth as an alternative is what I love because uh, you can put aside up to $6,000 that grows tax-free all through the years. You can open one with no minimum, any amount of money at Fidelity Investments, $1,000 at Vanguard, $100 at Schwab, and the money just grows and grows and grows over the decades to be spent later in retirement tax-free. If that's not at all something that you would consider, and by the way, if you do consider that, look at my recommendations on my investment guide at Clark.com. Otherwise, an online account with an online savings bank would be absolutely perfect. To go to bankrate.com, you can see the best interest rates being offered for online savings accounts. And Joel, you're up. Yeah, Clark, speaking of the Roth, Bill in Wisconsin says, I'm 61 years old and I'm still working. Does it make sense to change some of my existing traditional IRA to Roth since my income is down this year? I'm only considering converting an amount that would not put us in a higher tax bracket. Right now, about 90% of our retirement money is in pre-tax money, not Roth money. If you can afford to pay the tax on the money you convert in a year that your income is lower than normal, absolutely move what you can into a Roth IRA. As you've heard me say, tax rates are historically low right now at the federal level. I mentioned earlier the huge federal budget deficits. An aging population It is a recipe that likely leads to higher tax rates down the road. So, yeah, particularly in a year that your income is lower, go for it, converting what you can into Roth money. Kim? Nick in North Carolina says, my daughter's getting her license. Should I lease a car that is intended to purchase? It's safer and keeps the initial cost lower. Or should I purchase a used car and let her get all of her newer driver issues out of the way? Option B or two, however you'd refer to them. I would like for you to look at buying a used vehicle that has key safety features on it. Um, obviously electronic stability control would be top of the list Um, automatic emergency braking would be very valuable blind spot warning would be great and you don't have to have a brand new 2021 model to get those things so 
buying a used one lowers the cost of the purchase a lot. The depreciation was eaten up a lot of it by the first owner of that vehicle. And you can look at Consumer Reports Guide to the best, most reliable used vehicles in different price ranges to find where you should limit your search or start your search. Joel? Clark Judith in North Carolina says, I currently have an email account with a company that charges me an annual fee. I'd like to switch to a free service such as Gmail. Uh, Which do you recommend as the best and safest company to go to for free email service? Well, lately I've been excited by ProtonMail, which is a more private email service than Google. Um, And most people have not heard of ProtonMail, but it gives you the ability to have an email address, maybe with a name closer to your own instead of having to be blah, 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 407 or something with Google since there are billions at this point, Gmail accounts. And ProtonMail, uh, particularly if you're going ProtonMail to ProtonMail, you have it, somebody else you're writing to has it. It's a much more private, more secure email service with not the nosy Google people looking at everything you do. Kim? George in Arizona says, what aspects of an IRA makes them a lousy deal for inheritance or for survivors? Is it better to put an existing IRA into a trust or to be inherited? No, it's just uh, the way the taxation works when somebody inherits a Roth has gotten a lot worse with a recent tax law. And so it's still, I mean, it's still money that goes to an intended recipient beneficiary, but it's just they have to go through a rapid spend down of that money so that the feds get their tax money. That's why when someone has both Roth money and traditional, in many cases, spending down the traditional works better with the Roth being what people inherit, where the tax treatment is ultra favorable on the Roth. Sean is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sean. Hello, Clark. Great to be with you. Well, great to have you here. I understand you're tempted by these incredibly low mortgage rates we've got right now. Yes, I am. We're we're considering refinancing our, our, our mortgage for the house, but we have a second mortgage as well, which is at a higher rate. So we're looking to see what kind of snags or policies are, are, are in place that would prevent us from doing that or if it is something that we can do we'd like to be able to consolidate it into one bill and go for a 20-year mortgage rather than the 30 that it is now and it's we've been paying on it for about 10 years now so your your current rate is 3.625 and you know it's funny it's not that long ago that you would have told me you had a rate of 3.625 and i would said that's unreal you could never beat that and now we're looking at mortgage rates uh two and a half two and three quarters Um, right and so this is a a real opportunity for you and then you keep the length of loan the same doing a 20-year refi um the real deal though by the way is if i don't know if the payment would would be backbreaking, but if you went into a 15-year loan instead of a 30, um, those rates are down uh, between two and two and a quarter percent for people with great credit. 
Right. We did. I looked at those and I crunched some numbers and, and where we feel comfortable. If we can find a 20 year, it, it would really do us good. Okay. So you got 3.625. And how much do you owe on that? Uh, 198,000. 198. All right. And what do you guess your home's worth? Um, 385,000. That was on the assessor's card they sent me before they raised my property taxes. And usually that's less than true market value. You probably could sell your home for a little more than that, would you guess? Okay. And do you have any kind of um, home improvement, home equity, anything like that? Well, we took out a loan for a second mortgage for home improvements. And how much is that? And that's at, uh, the rate is at 5.25%. For 15 years. And the so balance up, on that? And we took out 75000 Okay, so you owe about two seventy, two seventy-five, right in there. Oh, you're yeah. you're great to be able to refi the whole thing into one loan. Is there a problem with um, whoever I choose to refi with, them being able to pay off that second mortgage and what claims, I guess? the bank with the second mortgage may have that I'm really kind of confused with. That. No, no. The, all that, all they wants their money. <laughs> so okay. when you refi the new loan that you'd have that would take out the second mortgage, cause you're blended. I'm looking at your blended rate is closer to 4% right now when you take those well, two I together have... and you're going to yeah. go down to like on a 20 year, you're going to go down to uh, maybe two and a half somewhere in there. So you're going to save a substantial amount of interest. And all that second mortgage company wants is they want their 70-something thousand dollars. So when you refi at the closing table, they're paid off. Your first mortgage is paid off. And you have a new second mortgage for about 270 grand. Okay. That's great. Now, it is a a VA loan that I got with my benefits. Is is that affected in any way? No. And uh, thank you, by the way, for your service to our country. It was an honor to serve. uh, Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it very much. And thank you for your service as well. Thank you so much. But, um, you know, I'm a part-time soldier, and it's been my honor to be one for 19 years now. So when you do that refi, you can see what you can do with a VA lender. And you also, with today's low rates, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a VA lender. So don't limit yourself just to a VA refinance. See what you can do with a conventional lender with this amount of money. Shop it around and pay attention to not just the interest rate, but also whether they're going to charge you any points. Each point is 1% of the amount of money you're borrowing. And what closing costs there will be with each lender But uh, it seems like it's a pretty big slam dunk that you're going to save a substantial amount of money over the next 20 years by getting a refi done, taking that first and that second, marry them together with a new first mortgage that you've refied. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.